did he really say that? And then I asked myself, is that really him? When my friend posted something online, I read it. We've been friends for over three decades, and our families kind of intersected. I watched his kids grow up. He watched my kids grow up, and he posted something online. And this is what he posted. You see, it was part of a story, the backstory of what had gone on with his daughter's life. I had actually done the premarital counseling for his daughter to get married and watched her have a kid, have one child. They had one child, and then they had twins, and then they had four, and that was exciting, and we celebrated that. And then she put him back in school. He went to grad school, went to PT school. And so she worked, Laura worked uh, at night, swing shifts and all that kind of thing while raising four kids. And after her husband graduated from PT school, he bought her a special birthday greeting. And the birthday greeting was posted online. And the birthday greeting was from the third baseman, the former third baseman of the Minnesota Twins. Now, I'm a Twins fan, so I thought this was pretty cool. His name was Michael Kadire. And so he had this post, a video, and he said, congratulations, Laura. It's your birthday. You've been a great wife, supportive, supportive. And my friend posted online. I thought, I can't believe that. How cool is that? Way better than a tie. I guess you don't get, maybe you get ties, but. Well, I probably wouldn't have thought of it much more, but then a childhood friend of mine posted something last week online as well. For his birthday, a friend got for him a greeting from a actor, a very famous actor, William Shatner, who played in, he was in Star Trek, old school Star Trek. He played the character Captain Kirk, great name, just saying. And, uh, and so he greeted Randy. And in this video to my childhood friend, William Shatner, Captain Kirk, sings and dances. And I wrote back to him on his Facebook, and I said, okay, I guess I'll save my 50-cent card that I was going to send to you. Well, these are called cameo videos, if you haven't heard about these before. And I've seen some of you nod, and you can buy one for either 50 bucks or up to several thousand dollars to have actors actually do a personalized greeting. And I thought, how cool would that be? Man, if I was a little boy, I, Michael Jordan would, my parents couldn't afford that. But anyways, now here's how this ties to this message. What's your point? In, in our message, if you are a first century Jewish Christian who is listening to this sermon from the book of Hebrews, and really this whole book is a sermon series, if I drop this name, you would put this person right here. You would put him on an incredible level. I mean, who speaks to God face to face? Who brings the law? Who else brought the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who brought the Ten Commandments down? Who established the tabernacle? First century Jews would put Moses right up here. Right up here. Because Moses was great. But we're going to find out from this passage of Scripture, Moses is great. But Messiah is greater. Kenneth Wiest was a New Testament professor at Moody Bible Institute uh, in Chicago. And he made this comment about this particular passage of Scripture. He said, The unknown author for the book of Hebrews is brilliant in the way that he treats Moses with such high respect and such high tact. Who wouldn't? Because Moses is great. And so in this message, where we're going to go is you're going to see actually God's credentials 
on how great Moses is. Secondly, we'll read from God's word in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We'll see this response, the, the response of because of what we understand, who Christ is standing alone and what Christ has done like no other, there's a response for us. And we'll see it in two names and in two realities. And finally, we'll, we'll end the message by just stepping back and recognizing that if we compare Moses, who is great, to Messiah, well, you'll see the gap between the two of them. So first what we're going to do is we're going to pray and then we have to step back a little bit. We'll just kind of step back in time a little bit and look at Moses and have you think, wow, wow, there is a reason why he's great. And then we'll look at God's word together and let it speak to us. But first, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we approach you confidently in the name and the work of Jesus, in the completed work of your son, our great high priest, the one who calls us, who are mere mortals, he calls us holy sisters and holy brothers. What a calling and what an identity that is to be included in this holy, set-apart company for your glory and for your kingdom advancement. But you know, Lord, so many of us come this morning watching online, needy and weary. We, for, we feel more unholy than unholy, more dirty than pure. Our hearts are heavy with stuff, with sins and with worries and with burdens. And you know that. But more importantly than that, you care. And even more, you provided Jesus to heal us and to forgive us and die on the cross for us. So friend, right now with your head bowed, your eyes closed, I invite you to confess and examine your heart. Ask the Lord, Lord, are there sins I need to admit and confess and turn away from you? Understand this, that the Lord Jesus always hears two simple words, have mercy. So I invite you to confess your sins silently, quietly, and honestly now. From God's word, we understand from 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, you who are faithful and just will forgive us our sins. And you are eager to forgive. So Father, now as a church family, we come asking for a fresh wave and a new spirit that would pour upon us as we gather, as we watch, as we hear from your living word that is breathed and inspired by you. I pray that you'll do your soul work and that you would change hearts and that you would transform minds that you would soften biases and would give insight and then the spiritual grace to obey. There is a world that is watching and I pray that you would let them see Jesus living in and through us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In order to see this comparison of Messiah, of Moses is great, Messiah is greater, we need to go back and step back just a little bit and let me state it this way, that as we look at Messiah, as we look at Moses, excuse me, as we look at Moses, he comes from a triage of, relation, of leadership. Yes, he did all these great things, leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and he, they crossed the Red Sea. 
But the triage of leadership was a group of people that were siblings. Micah chapter 6 verse 4 tells us that actually it was Moses and Aaron and Miriam that led them out, that led them out of Egypt. And the incident that we're going to look at is from Numbers chapter 12. I'd invite you to turn to Numbers chapter 12 on page 124. And what we see is we see rebellion. Now, next week we're going to understand and we're going to unpack a rebellious blot that the children of Israel could never get over. But before there was public rebellion, there was private rebellion. What do you mean by that, Pastor Kirk? I mean by this, by this way. This triage of relationship, Miriam being the oldest, she was the sister that watched Moses float down the river. There was Aaron, who was three years older. He's the high priest and the, and the, and the spokesperson. Now, don't forget this, that Miriam was actually called a prophet in Exodus chapter 15. She's the gal who wrote this song, We will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. There's all kinds of dance moves that goes with that. I'll, I won't do those for you this morning. You're welcome. But the conversation that we pick up and the background that we pick up is actually sibling rivalry, dysfunctional, and two turn against one, the oldest turn against one and what they say initially what initially their problem is with Moses is could be is clearly racial discrimination they said you married a Cushite you married a girl from Sudan she's not like an Israelite she's not one of us she's not an Israelite we got that beef against you but what the issue was behind the issue was this is are you the only one that God speaks to? Are you the only one? And our Heavenly Father took offense to that. So reading in Jesus' name, why Moses is so great. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But that is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. And then verse 8, these are his credentials. With Moses I speak face to face. Another translation says mouth to mouth conversation and dialogue, clearly and not in riddles. He speaks to Moses directly and explicitly. And he sees the form of the Lord. It's less intensive, but it's like a vision. This is the uniqueness of Moses. To oppose him is to oppose God himself. He is so unique, so different than in the last days of in the last days, in Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 through 3, it actually says that Moses will co-write a song that saints will sing. You've got to be kidding me. 
in Revelation chapter 15, verse 2 through 3. This is why Moses is so great. I saw something like a sea made of glass, the glass all shot through with fire, carrying harps of God, triumphant over the beast, its image and the number of its names. The saved one stood on the sea of glass, and they sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. I mean, Moses is up here. Moses is great. Even God says so. And Revelation says so. But this is what Moses also identifies with. He knew that another was coming. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses gives us a hint. The book of Deuteronomy is, Deuto means two, and the back word means law. It's the second giving of the law. It's Moses' farewell tour, if you'd want to say so. And this is what Moses reminds another generation in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. The Lord will raise up a prophet like me from among you. Listen to him. And that prophet was Jesus. He was pointing to to Jesus, and you pick that up in verse 6, that God himself will speak in the future. Moses is great, but Messiah is greater. And so we come to the reading of God's word. We don't often do this because um, sometimes our texts are really long, but this time it's not so long. So I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word from Hebrews chapter 3. It's on page 1034 if you want to follow along. It starts with the word therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And the therefore is because of what happened in chapter 2. And what happened in chapter 2, we were reminded that Christ is greater because he's a greater path maker. Of all humans, he stands alone, all by himself. Therefore, here's what we do. The therefore is there. Because it reminds us that Christ was a better bondage breaker. Here's what he did. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. He satisfies God's holy wrath perfectly. Therefore, here's God's word. Beginning in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ, Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we're his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. This is breathed by God. This is inspired by God. Watch what he'll do. Amen. You're going to have a seat. So if Moses was great, and he's up here, and it's true, Messiah is greater, and as a result, we're to focus our, set our focus 
on Jesus. Did you catch that? When you read it for the first time? It's the opposite of the identity theft that happens to people. Actually, this verse gives us identity defining. We share in Jesus' humanity. And now, by faith, he calls us siblings because he shares in our humanity. By faith, we're siblings. Since he is holy and he's my brother in Christ, I'm holy too. You might be sitting here this morning cringing, thinking to yourself, Pastor, do you have any idea what I'm really like? Does God even know what I'm like? Well, if you confess faith in Christ and follow him and turn from sin, Jesus calls you a sister or a brother. It's there in verse 211. The author encourages us to use this idea of focusing on Christ with a strong and powerful word that's rich in Scripture. The word means to look or to ponder or to perceive or to use scrutiny as to examine. And there's a very famous way, very famous way that that word is used in context. It's this. Make sure you examine the log in your own eye. Then the speck. Same word that's used here. Same word that's used in Acts chapter 27, verse 34. It's a nautical word with a nautical idea that Paul was in a storm and they were on a sea in the Mediterranean Sea and the storm was going up and down and they were looking for a safe place. They were scanning the shore. They were looking for a harbor so that they could put their boat in. Is it there? Is it there? Is it there? Is it there? And the writer for the book of Hebrews says, therefore, set your focus on Jesus. And then he gives us two names. The first name he gives us is the apostle. The very first apostle was Jesus. That's what the scriptures say. And, and the reality of that is Jesus was sent for us. Now, I've said this before, and I might get in trouble when I get to heaven because Jesus will say, I, you know, I wasn't going to say that, but just the way that my mind works, I've said this before, in John chapter 20, verse 21, the disciples are in the upper room. They're scared out of their wits that they're going to be executed. And Jesus shows up in locked doors, sealed room, and the first thing he says is, boo! No, he didn't say that. He says, peace, shalom. And then he says these words. My father, he said, as the father apostled me, sent me, so I send you. We're the you. So I send you as ambassadors. John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only one, his only son, the sent one for the world. The second name that's given is the word high priest. We're to look at the high priest, who is the bridge builder. One commentator said this, Who better to represent God to humans than God? Who better to represent humans to God than a human? Jesus alone is that person, the bridge builder. Now here's where we get something lost in translation. The word high priest in Latin is a great word. 
It is spelled Pontifex, P-O-N-T-I-F-E-X, P-O-N-T-I-F-E-X. Why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Pontifex means bridge builder. Why do we need a bridge builder? Because of this reason. Because we're sinful and we try all kinds of stuff. Like we try to like, do more good deeds. If I do 27 good deeds this week and only 13 good deeds, 13 bad deeds this week, maybe God will be nicer. Or we come up with the philosophy. I'm better than creepy Bob down the way. Or creepy Sally or creepy who, who knows who. We kind of, I'll do good stuff. Or then we try to be religious. Oh, we try to be religious. And we try to be nice at church for once. We try all these things to bridge God. Will God notice? Will God notice? We needed a bridge. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. Let me say, I've never seen it before. Will you look at it? There's an altar in most Christian churches. And we put ourselves here. We put our guilt here. We put our sins here. And God comes down. And the person that's on the altar is the person of Jesus Christ. Wow. The body and blood. We are to focus on Christ because he was the one who was sent and lived his life perfectly. And as we look at him, the Messiah is the costly bridge builder with his own blood. Sometimes words get lost in translation, like the word bridge builder, but then there's another word that gets lost in translation, and you see it for the very first time in verse 6. It's the English word Christ. In Greek, it's Christos, but in Hebrew, it's Messiah, and they all mean the same thing. Anointed one, promised one, prophesied one. And here in verse 2 through 6, you see this comparison of Moses. He is great, but Messiah, oh, he's much, much, much greater. And so let me just encourage you to do something, to grab a legal pad and then just write a line halfway down a pad, ver uh, yeah, vertically, and put Moses on one side and Messiah on the other side and compare them. Just compare them, what you know about Moses, he looked like Charlton Heston, and then Messiah, I don't have any idea what he looks like. But just think about it, I've been thinking about this for a little bit. Both of them, if you compare, both of them were tried to, both of them were, they were, they, they were people tried to kill him when they were little boys. Both of them had Egypt as part. One left, one fled, Egypt. One entered Egypt. One killed a man and one was killed for mankind. One was in the desert for 40 years and one was in the desert for 40 days. One became an occupation that Egyptians, where he had come from, it was a disgusted profession. It was a despised profession. It was being a shepherd, the Bible tells us. That was, that's what Moses had come to. And the other, Messiah, willingly said, I'm the good shepherd. Amazing. But here's what the writer for the book of Hebrews does. 
gives us even more comparisons. Moses was a part of the house. And Messiah is the builder. No comparison. Moses knew God personally. Messiah is God permanently. Difference. Total difference. And finally, Moses was a servant in the house. And Messiah, Christ, is the son over the house. Now, one of the things that skeptics or critics or people will criticize and they'll have an objection that Jesus didn't think he was God. Maybe you've heard that before as you talked with people. Jesus didn't think he was God. Well, I was reminded of a friend, a friend of mine. I was in a book study with, uh, not a friend. I, I've gotten to know him. His name is Jay Warner Wallace. He wrote a book called Person of Interest. I did a 10-week book study with him. He made this helpful comment. He said, Jesus spoke as though he was God. He equated himself to be God. He accepted the worship as o- of others as though he were God. He described himself as God using the term I am. And he even claimed to have power to forgive sins. It's one thing to reject Jesus' claim. It's another to deny he made them. Given the nature of Jesus' assertion, only one option remains. Each of us must decide if the claims of Jesus are true. He stands alone. Messiah is great. Excuse me, Moses is great. Messiah is even greater. And so in these passages of Scripture, in verses 2 through 6, you maybe have noticed a repeating word that's used seven times in just five verses. It's the word house. Another key word that gets lost in translation. The word house is the word oikos, O-I-K-O-S, O-I-K-O-S. The reason why that's significant is it means household. It means network of relationships. That was church. At the, writing, at the time of this writing, there were no buildings, there were no private properties, there was no sacred spaces. Houses were people. Women and men, teenagers, little ones, seniors that were saved and rescued by Jesus, that was the church. People amongst, living amongst each other, households of, of faith. When I was in high school, I had a... Uh, I had a football jersey that I made. I wish I could still wear it, but Julie shrunk it, and I was—I could no. And it just reminded me of this oikos word, and it was this. I wish I would have kept it though. And it said this: "Property of Jesus Christ." And I wore that when I was in high school and in college. That I belong to—I'm His. Yes. That's an oikos. You're an oikos. If you know and love Christ. So in verse 6, there's a if word. There's an if condition. Did you notice that word? I-F. How does that play out? Part of our theology has an immediate screen that comes up like, oh, are we going to work for our salvation? No. There's a difference between earning your salvation and putting effort in your salvation. Earning means You did it on your own. But effort means that when God shows you something, you move in that direction. You obey in that direction. 
You walk in that direction. You put effort in that direction. Those two dif- the differentiation between those two words has been super helpful to me as a son of God. So it ends with this. If we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. This word hope is a key word. It's fronted by the word confidence. The word confidence means to leave a witness that something deserves to be remembered. And what deserves to be remembered is the hope that we have. And so I want to conclude with this word and have you just ponder what hope is. First of all, understand that hope is some extraordinary spiritual grace that God gives us to control our fears, not to oust them. Let me repeat that again. It comes from an Irish scholar and priest and an evangelist by the name of Vincent McNabb. Came across it in our devotions this week. It was this. It was so good. Hope is some extraordinary spiritual grace that God gives to us to control our fears and not to oust them. That's what we hold on to. That's what we hold on to. Now, one of our verses that we'll have, and we'll put it up there in the fall, it's one of my favorite verses. It's from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And I know when pastors say it's one of my favorite verses, you go, oh yeah, what's your unfavorite verses? But that one really is in my top five. And Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. I love that verse in so many ways. It's this athletic theme and it's that athletic image that there are others who have run before us. There have been others who have been in our place, who've had our kind of struggles. And the word is, learn from them. So let me have you, so let's learn from them. One of the first symbols... The first symbols for the Christian church was anchored in hope. They found this from archaeology. They dug up over 70 tombs in biblical archaeology and they found this symbol. They found this symbol on tombs. And the symbol was that of an anchor. The symbol was an anchor. You mean a Yep, that Like the shoop is the anchor part. You know what I'm saying? That's what they found. So Michael Card, who's a Christian author and musician, said this. He writes about this, that this Christian symbol happened during the period of Roman persecution. Here's the background. Ready? Card writes, If I'm a first century Christian and I'm hiding in the catacombs and three of my best friends have been just thrown to the lions or burned at Emperor Nero's garden parties... The symbol that encourages me in my faith is the anchor. Because when I see it, I'm reminded that Jesus is my anchor. So is it going to get harder? You think it'll get harder or easier to follow Christ? Take a guess. I think it'll be harder. I think that's playing out further and further each week or each month or each year. But we're not left alone. We're not left alone. You're going to walk out of here and you're not going to hear these words. Good luck. Don't screw up as much this week, okay? You're going to receive a benediction. You're going to receive a blessing. And the blessing 
is from our Heavenly Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we do each week, we respond to God's Word. We don't just hear it, we respond to it. And so I ask you, we were just having coffee, what things keep you distracted? What things are distracting you to keeping you from focusing on Jesus? And what attributes in this passage can you pull back, can pull you back to focusing on our great King? What's here? And what does it mean to know that you're in the same family as someone who is up here? Someone who is up here. Moses. Whoa. And finally, what's the Holy Spirit building in you? What are some special features of your house that the Spirit is building that show you you are uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully made? What is that? Watch and see what God will do. I asked Aaron if we could sing this song. And it's a beautiful song. And I hope that you'll lift your voice in praise. And the scriptures say that we're to hold fast. But the thing that, that encourages me is he'll hold fast to me. When I'm not the hold faster-er. Which isn't a word, but you get it, right? So let's stand. Worship the Lord.